The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. We'll give our attention this morning to the last half of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We stepped into this chapter last week, you'll recall, we focused on one supporting point in Paul's larger argument. We looked at verses, particularly verses 29, 30, and 31, and we saw that the appointed time, God's appointed, His, His divine salvation history time, has been shortened. All throughout history, God has been moving towards something, moving towards an end, and He has decisively acted to send His Son finally, in just the right moment, to send Christ. And that has shortened the time and brought us into the end. Talked about stoppage time last week if you're a soccer fan. That, that the clock is running here, and at any moment the, the whistle may blow, and it will be over. And even as we sit here, as verse 31 said, this world in its very present form is passing away, already right now, passing away. That's reality. And so therefore, in the middle of those, in, 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 in a 29 and 30, we're supposed to live in a certain way. To live mindful of that and live in this world, but not holding on to it tightly. Holding it loosely. Married. You're going to be married. But loosely. Buying. Loosely. Sorrowing and rejoicing loosely. That was the whole issue last week and we looked at that. Paul's general point which he is using to support his larger argument which we're going to turn to this morning. The whole of section 25 to 40. Answering a question that they've raised regarding marriage and especially singleness. And that's what we turn to now. And I'm going to read the whole section 25 to 40 and then go back and give a brief Touching on the first part again while focusing on the last half of it this morning. We begin reading then in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman 
is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 7. As we noted last week, verse 25 begins with the phrase, now concerning, indicating that Paul's picking up an issue raised for him by the Corinthians in a letter they sent him. And, and the issue, the, the issue that kind of launches this whole section is about engaged people, betrothed, uh, women, and then also including men. And you can, you can see how he had said to them just in the previous section, remain as you are, and a betrothed person is kind of in limbo. I'm not exactly single, and I'm not exactly married. Am I, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to perceive that? And around me, all kinds of people are telling me all kinds of different things. What should I do? Paul's responding to that. And in verse 25, still, he prepares a response of pastoral wisdom, laced with mercy. You recall how this section is very, very light on the tone of command. There is a little bit of command repeated from before, but the, the feel of it is godly, wise counsel. Pastoral counsel. That's God's word to us that's designed to shape how we think and then give us something with which we can face the issues in life. He's not giving a command, you should always do this. He doesn't know all their situations. He's giving a wise, godly perspective. And he says in 26, given all the difficulty the church is facing, I would urge you to remain single. Now, if you're married, obviously, don't, don't break your marriage. Stay there. But if you're single, don't pursue that. It, you can. It's not sin. You kind of see him back and forth. He is back and forth throughout this whole section. It's not sin, but there's a lot of worldly trouble there in marriage, and I would spare you that. Here's what I mean. And he moves into what we looked at last week. The time is short. This world that we live in is passing away. And that means something about how we live. We live holding this world very loosely. And there would be a great bit of wisdom to avoid taking on additional responsibilities and additional pressures and, and conflicts. You live here where you are, but you should have an eye on there where you will be. And that might mean it's wise to travel light. And he expands that again in verse 32. I want you to be able to do that free from anxiety. 
the marriage and the single. He's speaking to the whole church. I want you to be able to do that, to travel light through this world, free from anxiety. Because there is great opportunity for pressure here. He's about to talk, and he is talking. He's answering a question about marital status, and this is the Apostle Paul who speaks for God, and he's single. And he's about to say, as he has said repeatedly, I favor singleness. Where's the, where's the opportunity for pressure here? I'm single. I'm an apostle. I favor singleness. It'd be wise to travel light. Where, where's the pressure coming here? But I want you free from anxiety. No guilt trips here. No manipulation here. I'm giving you merciful, wise counsel. Free from anxiety. Relax. Think about something, but relax. And, and you, again, he's got two different things here. He's using the word anxiety in two different ways. It could be translated concerns. And he wants them free from anxiety in the negative sense, while also wanting you to be aware of concerns in the neutral or in maybe the positive sense. You need to be aware of a reality here. The unmarried man is concerned about the Lord. How to please Him. And the married man is concerned also about his wife. How to please his wife. And it says he's divided. He's, he's torn. He's in two places. The Lord and wife. And women, same thing. He then says the very same thing for the women. Pulled in two, different rec- in, in two different directions, which is reality. And it's not necessarily sinful reality. It's important to understand because this, this paragraph is, is the center of where we're going to be this, this morning. And we really need to understand a couple of things here. He's not talking about a sinful reality. He's talking about a reality. There are obvious, clear costs to being married. Time and money and mental and physical energy will be divvied up into more places than it is if you're single. That's just a fact. And Paul wants a person who's contemplating marriage to be aware of that and to think it through, given that the time is short. How many, how many things you want to throw up in the air, given that you've only got a brief moment to catch them all? Think about that. How, how much do you want to parcel yourself out, given that it's all going to have to be brought back together at the end? Shortly. Think about that. He's not talking about something sinful here. He is in favor of marriage. He's not talking about, when he says divided, unfortunately the ESV uses the same word divided in verse 35 as it does when talking about the man being divided in two minds. It's not the same word, it's not the same idea even. He's just talking about a reality of being of two places, and verse 35, what I want from you, here's the goal, what I want from you, very end of the sentence, is devotion without distraction. Whether you're married or single, either one, devotion to the Lord without distraction. I say this, he says, verse 35, for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. There's the no anxiety thing again. The word is about a rope that would be used as a, as a noose. Some sort of a, of a 
a collar around an animal or even around a person. I'm not putting a noose around your neck. I'm not trying to restrain you. Peace. This is a mercy statement from me. What I want is your wholehearted, full devotion to the Lord. Marriage divides your focus. That's just the way it is. It's not sinful. It's a reality to consider. But both marriage and singleness are permissible. And that's what comes up again in the last paragraph, 36 and following. He's talking to a person who then he's getting very practical. Well, how do I decide if I should go one way or the other then? If they're both permissible. And he says, essentially, free from every outside pressure. No constraint from me or from the culture, from anybody else. No peer pressure, no obligation. If you in your heart then decide, I want to marry this one, do it. There's great freedom in that. Think think about this. He he just says at the end, let them marry. It's not sin. And incidentally, one of our translations inserts some words that are not in the original as if this is talking about a father thinking about his daughter. It's not the case. He's still talking to the same audience, still talking to you about your engagement and the church, about engaged people. Let them marry. And on the other hand, if as you think through what I've said and and under no compulsion, not with some guilt trip, not with some desire to be more spiritual than the next guy, you think, maybe not, then don't. That's even better. The one who marries does well. The one who doesn't marry does even better. And widows, you can remarry if you want to, too. A Christian marrying the Lord. But I think that you'd do better off to stay single, too. And that comes from the Spirit in me. Verse 40. That's the passage. There's a, a lot of text there. And I kind of skipped over a few of the details in different places. But that's essentially the passage. And it is a complicated one in some ways because of this back and forth tension. In some ways, very clearly, God through Paul is serious about singleness. Earlier in the chapter we talked a lot about marriage. This morning we're going to be leaning on singleness. He's very serious about singleness. And he argues for it. The the betterness of it. But in a wisdom sort of way, not in a commanding way. Because he also, God through Paul, is very clear about the the beauty and the wonder of marriage and does not have freedom to command you which one's right for you. So we're kind of pushing in two different directions, which I'm going to try to capture now in, in this summary sentence. So here's my main point for this morning, which parents can write down and have little kids copy. God assigns some to a strategic singleness. But all of us to an undivided devotion. God assigns some to a strategic singleness. But all of us to an undivided devotion. My main point, which I'm going to then kind of break into two halves here. The first observation comes from Paul's considered, spirit filled judgment. 
or opinion. He's clear. It's his opinion, but he's also clear. I'm a spirit-filled apostle giving you an opinion. So take this seriously. Here's the first observation. Singleness should be considered seriously by every Christian. Singleness should be considered seriously by every Christian, even those who are currently married. Married Christians also should consider singleness. And I say that while immediately rushing to qualify it. Because I do not mean singleness for you. If if you're married, do not give any room in your mind to consider, oh, wouldn't it be better to be single? That creeps into married people's minds all the time, does it not? Wouldn't it be better? Oh, it'd be so nice, so, so liberating in this moment or this period to be free of this. Married person, to give room in your mind to entertain that which is not permitted is sin. Don't take that thought captive and submit it to Christ. It poisons your marriage. That's not what I mean. But I do very clearly want to say married people need to consider singleness just as much as single people do. He's speaking to the whole church and he wants the whole church to think about this. To get to a place where we open a door of mental possibility such that we begin to think Christians can be single, maybe even should be single. For a period, for life. And as my mental door is opening, and if that is the case, that God would assign to me the life condition, remember that from the earlier in the chapter, that He would assign to me or to my loved ones or to my children, singleness as a life condition, then that would be a good thing. A gift from God, as verse 7 says. It is quite apparent that this is what Paul wants. He wants the church thinking about and thinking rightly about singleness. That we would even attach the word, I'm going to put a word on here that... that might poke us a little bit, that singleness is wonderful. That if God would assign it to me, it is wonderful. How many teenagers or 20-somethings think like that? You're a teenager right now. Are you thinking, I'm not married, and if God would have me to not be married for my whole life, that would be awesome. But no, we're not thinking like that. How many, how many, how many 50-year-olds are thinking like that? If you're still single, are you thinking, wonderful from God? When I put that word in there, we find something that we find bumping up our culture's values against God's and God's kingdom's values. If He gives it as a gift, it's wonderful. You could underline verse 7. Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. That's married and single. It's a gift if He gives it to you for a period or for life. We need to think rightly about this. I wish that all were as I myself am, verse 7. You're free from a wife? Don't seek one. Not that it's wrong if you do, but my advice is don't. If you're married, live, verse 29, as though not having a wife, which is easier if you don't. 
The one who marries does well, but the one who remains single does even better. Verse 38. In my judgment, the widow widow was happier if she remained single, and that comes from the Spirit. Verse 40. All, All throughout, Paul is standing on two feet, married and single. Both are good. Both are gifts. But he leans. Does he not? He's carrying his weight more on one foot, modeling it in his own life. The next chapter, or two chapters later, he's going to say, "Don't, don't I have the right to bring along a believing wife as all the other apostles did? But I didn't on purpose. Because I lean one way. I see something. He favors. He sees singleness as wonderful. Why? Why? I mean, weren't we talking about marriage just a short while ago and saying that that marriage is a God-designed picture that that shows to all of the world the wonder of, of God the Son, the great bridegroom, married to His church, the bride, and it's a beautiful, awesome, wonderful thing. Yeah, it is. Amen. It is. But singleness, oh, mm. What are you thinking about, Paul? What, what, why? Well, I love military history, which is a strange transition from marriage and singleness. <laughs> I love military history. And I once read in a story sometime past about how the military was assembling a force for a particularly dangerous mission that carried very high risk. And the force was to be all volunteer and all single men. No married men allowed. Why? Well, because obviously single men are stronger. No. They're faster? No. Better shots? No. Because there was a very high expectation of a very high cost to be paid. And in mercy, they didn't want that cost paid twice by the soldier and by his family, his wife and kids back home. And in mercy, they didn't want to create the possible tension of the, of the warrior on the battlefield at the moment of decision, do I take the next step or not, torn between two allegiances of two different minds. The, the right and good and noble love of comrade and devotion to mission and love of and devotion to wife at home. It would be a cruel thing to force that decision. And so in mercy, the commanders say, it would be better for this thing if you were single. Brothers and sisters, the reality of this world all around us is that we live in a passing place. It doesn't seem like it. We're all dressed nicely, sitting in in relative comfort here. We live in a passing place that is, in fact, a battlefield. The appointed time has grown very short. And in these final hours, the king has taken the field and is assembling an army to himself. And there are some things for those things. It would be better if you were single. And Paul, who knew that full well, marching across the Mediterranean, enduring shipwreck and beating and hardship, says, I can't take a wife into this. But I have to engage with this. It is his calling on me. 
And there is a great privilege. It is an advantage. It is, there is a strategic singleness. It is a gift given with this in mind about a mission. To be able to think solely, how can I please the Lord? How much of myself can I give to Him? How much of my time? How much of my resources? How much of my sweat and blood? With no concern for anyone else, that is a great privilege, is an advantage. And that is the unique strategic benefit that Paul underlines in 32 and 34. The unmarried man, what's he concerned about? Unfortunately, a lot of us would say, how to make me happy. Paul's assuming something here. Paul's assuming what he hopes for, the full devotion at the end. And the unmarried man in full devotion has concern, how do I please the Lord? The unmarried woman, what is she concerned about? How to please the Lord. That's the uniqueness. That's the the focus here. The purpose behind it. Why would he give that as a gift? To be able to claim more of you if you're single. To be able to claim more of this person's whole being, time, and energy. For ministry... For personal relationship with God, content in singleness, the single person stands able to go and to be and to do where other people cannot go and be and do. Much angst, however, in singleness comes from not embracing that. And chafing against what I don't have. Not what I do. I'm embracing what I have been given. Freedom for focus on Christ and His mission. Singleness should lead to and is designed by God to lead to a unique depth of familiarity with Him and a unique freedom to serve Him. So Christians give serious consideration to singleness. Is God calling you to it? Or your your loved ones to it? Your children to it? For, For a time, maybe for life. You need to think about that. And get... Get to a spot where I'm good with that. If, if my son would grow up single his whole life, uniquely, deeply committed to God, serving Him and pouring out his life, and I have no grandkids and my family line ends, wonderful. Are you there? Oftentimes we view singleness in our friends, in ourselves, in our kids as a problem to be solved. Maybe it's a gift to be embraced. I say maybe, meaning it is a gift to be embraced. 
a strategic gift. In our culture, we are slanted clear the other way. We assume marriage. I have daughters, and from the earliest age, they've been practicing wedding. They're like everybody else's daughters. Somebody has to play the groom every now and then. But it's, it's what happens because it's assumed. And statistically, it happens for most people, yes. But not for all. We should be, we should be cautious in the assumption of it. We should think in the church, how do we view singleness, whether you're single or, or not? How do we view singleness? Is it, is it kind of the, the, you know, over here somewhere in the church's ministry? It should be right here. Both for the sake of singles and for the sake of marriage, it should be right there in the center of what the church is about. Because right there in the center, that's where single people are fed, not by putting them off in the ghetto with other single people. Now, it's fine to, to do that. Yeah, sure. Just like it's fine for married couples to get together. But not as a permanent separation. Right here amongst the people of God, young and old, single and married, that's where people are, are fed. And that's where you'll find unique opportunity for single people to pour out their lives they're going to be this summer, they're going to be moms and dads sitting here with a line of kids trying to, trying to run herd on them during sermons. Maybe you, a single person, could sit down there amongst them and say, I'll, I'll take this one. This is an example. Single people in, in church should be thought of as from the youngest of ages, because who, we don't know who's going to get married as they move on, but single people should be thought of and embraced as strategic tools. Not people to, of course. Understand, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, not trying to minimize that, but, but something strategic, we should look at this as how can we help this person to maximally develop for perhaps God may want to use this person as, as a uniquely positioned soldier in his, kingdom, in his kingdom ministry? How can we equip? How can we challenge? Rather than how can we set this person aside and get along with what we're really about? Together. The whole church thinking about singleness. Thinking about it as strategic and important. Clearly, Paul wants us to give serious consideration to singleness. The whole church and then each individual person. Maybe that should be you for a period or for life. And if it is, grab it. Do not fall prey to the thinking, we talked about this earlier, that I have to go somewhere else into a different condition in life to find the fullness of God and joy with Him. No, find it right now. He is equally accessible right where you are. Remain with Him there. Verse 24, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Right there with God. Walk with Him and embrace it. Maybe you'll get married later. Maybe you won't. Either way is wonderful. Church, give serious consideration to singleness. Secondly, then, 
take a step back to look at the, the larger picture. Here's a second observation. Whether single or married, pursue undivided devotion to the Lord. Whether single or married, pursue undivided devotion to the Lord. In the end, while acknowledging that Paul prefers singleness, it's also quite clear that he sees marriage as perfectly acceptable and good. Marital status either way is not the issue. Verse 35, here's what is the issue. I say all of this for your benefit to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. To secure your devotion without distraction. That's the point. Whichever status He has given to you, in that status right there, to live towards Him undistracted, to live looking to Him fixed, not like this. That's the goal. That's what Paul is striving to secure. And rarely, often, I think it's rare, often we, we fail to think about marriage for this purpose. Marriage for the purpose of undivided devotion. Or singleness for the purpose of undivided devotion. He assigns either one of them to you for the sake of wholehearted, undivided devotion. As the realm in which you can display it, you can display this devotion in married life or in single life, and also as the realm in which it is grown, in which it is developed. To say, I look at my marital status, single or married, either way, and God has given that to me as, in part, for one of the reasons He's given it to me, as a means to grow in me devotion to Him, comma, which is to say, to weaken in me devotion to me. He's creating an environment. And think about this. God is dealing with each of us right up close in a way that we can't avoid. If you're married, every night, figuratively speaking, every night He puts someone else right in your bed with you. Night after night after night after night after night. Can't get away. They're right there. And if you're single... Night after night after night, there's no one there. And you can't change it. Either way, he's dealing with you in a very personal, kind of up-close way, creating a place for you to wrestle with something. My heart, in relation to this person and what I love, my heart in relation to no person what I love and what I want. If He assigns you a spouse, here's how this works. If He assigns you a spouse, He's giving you something and He means for you to live in that 
married relationship pleasing the spouse. That's what he says. He's not talking about, verse 33, the married man anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. That's not a sinful worry. It's appropriate. We could read elsewhere. We could read Ephesians 5 where he talks about how the husband's job assigned by God is to be concerned about his wife. It is not inappropriate that he is worried about how to please her. It's commanded to. So you're to, to live with this, with this spouse. The same thing works for, for women to their husbands. To live with this person in, in a relationship. Giving to this person. Dying to your own desires to make life work like you want it to work. And then at the same time living not ultimately for this person, but as if not having a wife fully devoted to him. That's difficult. It's part of why Paul says it'd be easier not to do this. That's difficult. But for a married person, my devotion to God is seen in and is grown in how I live to serve and to bless the spouse here. We don't often think like that. Most of us chose to be married when we found the one for me. And how did you think of that phrase? Probably the one who would be the blessing to you. The one who made you feel. The one who responded to you. The one who lifted you up. Not the one for me to die for. The one for me to serve. The one for me to bless. And through him or through her to serve God. That's what God intends though in marriage. And the same thing for single. How many of us remain single in this world? I mean, not just in the church, but in the world. If, if a person willingly remains single... It's for the sake of self also. Freedom. No obligation, no commitment. Greater disposable income. Desire to get my education completed to be established in my career. Those are reasons people stay single. Not so as to serve the Lord. And some of us stay single, kind of chafing against that. Missing the point all along that whatever status He's given you, the goal in it is that you would be fully devoted to Him. And it is the refining element in your life. It's what He uses to grow you. That's the goal, a full devotion. How do we get there? Well, there are a couple, a couple of steps that are helpful. One, Paul points it out. That's helpful. Paul clarifies some of the complications of different, different states in, in marriage. That's helpful too. But the problem with preaching 29, 30, and 31 in a different sermon last week is that the obvious connection is not quite so obvious. So let me invite you to bring those verses back. A significant help in Paul's mind, a significant help in getting us to the point where we embrace married or single life fully devoted is to realize that everything else I'm tempted to live for is passing quickly. That the time is short. 
to realize that God has acted in this world, has taken the final step of sending His Son to the earth to claim you. Think about this. If you're, if you're a Christian, God has acted to claim you and not just in some kind of some brutish manhandling way. But He has acted to claim you a loving drawing that has removed off of you your guilt at the cross and has placed on you a name. Son, daughter. Has given to you a heritage. The kingdom. And now, in light of all of that, says... And that's coming soon. The reality and the fullness of all that is is rushing up on us. Don't live for something else that is rushing away. Son, daughter, He invites you. See the coming future and live fully devoted to Me in your marriage or in your singleness. I think it'd be wiser to be single, he says. Either way, wholeheartedly given to me. The main way that he helps you in, in, in pursuing devotion is to point out to you, in this text, is to point out to you the coming end and to invite you to live in light of it. And so my prayer here at the end is that he would show it to you. Do you see it? Do you see it? My prayer here, as I'll close in prayer in a second, is that God would open your eyes and allow you to see the coming end and see that there is nothing profitable about pursuing your own interests in your marriage or pursuing your own interests in your singleness and everything profitable in pursuing His. Through your spouse or very directly if you are single. So that's what I'll pray for here. So I close and then move us towards communion. God, I ask You, would You give grace to us, Your people, and enable us to see the end that is coming. To see You as Lord, that's the word used here, as Lord who does rightly deserve our devotion. But I pray also that You would give to Your people ability to see You as Savior who has marvelously shown Yourself worthy of devotion. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 
84121.